0: Well, if there's nothing else, uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 16, if you would like, Romans chapter 16, and this is somewhat like part two of this morning, and it's uh, a continuation on, but, but really its own standalone message as well, but uh, here we have more of the conclusion of Romans. Romans. And I wish we had time to look at more of the intro of Romans, but we skipped that. The intro, if you go back and look at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, 16 really, uh, is very similar to what we did today. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 33. He echoes a lot of the things, but then gets into more detail, like the second go-around and the, and the conclusion. And I like these parts of New Testament letters because they, they do feed you a lot of information on the background or maybe the occasion of the letter. Okay? So usually when you sit down to write a letter, you usually have an occasion for doing it. Unless you're just a real you love to write <laughs> for some reason. Uh, most people are like, I need to write this guy a letter because I'm trying to ask him for something. I want to say hello, I want to do this and that. And that is true of your New Testament writers. So Paul, is he's got a reason for writing them, and it's not just the Gospel. That is true, and he spends the bulk of the letter detailing the Gospel, and it's outworking in our lives. But I think in the intro and conclusion, you see one of the reasons he's writing this doctrinal, this doctrinal letter to the Romans is because he's appealing to them for help in trying to get to Spain. And, and so, again, this is coming out a little bit in Romans chapter 16, not as much as in 15 in chapter one, but here we see some more additional uh, nuts and bolts of missions in the first century. And I think now with a lot of application now that it can have for missions even now. So let's just read this text really quick. It's Romans uh, chapter 16, verses one through 16. It says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Synchrea." that ye receive her in the Lord as become as saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinitus, who is the fruits of Achaia unto Christ, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother in mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus, and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... Again, we thank you for this time. We can come back and exult in your word some more and the privilege that is. And I pray that you would give me grace to be able to explain this text and apply it the best I can. And um, I pray, though, that your spirit would take your word and apply it in ways I can't and in ways that only he can with the individuals listening in their life and their circumstances and their needs. I pray that You would meet those. You would edify them in the, in the way they need to be edified. And we know that You will and Your Word will not return void. And I pray that it would do that today. And uh, we would gain strength for the week and really trust You more as a result of being here today and fellowship with Your people. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. Everyone probably knows who said this statement. Who was it? Yes, I think I heard it. Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon. But who or how many of us can name the second guy on the moon? You got it. Buzz Aldrin. That was easy enough. What is the name of the guy who stayed in the command module and orbited the moon while Neil and Buzz landed on it, the third guy on Apollo 11? Anybody know it? He, never, he, did, he got to the moon later, I believe. That's it, I'm hearing it. Collins, Michael Collins, very good. You're the grand prize winner. <laughs> but wait, there's more, it gets harder. That was good, but what was the name of the guy in charge at Houston during Apollo 11? You know, uh, that in Apollo 13, it would be Houston, we have a problem. Maybe he was the first to hear it. What was his name? Anybody? I don't know it either. <laughs> but you can look it up. <laughs> Your as get as mine. And I say that because it illustrates what I'm trying to say here. Landing men on the moon was a monumental feat. It was very monumental and magnificent. Yet of the thousands of people it took to accomplish the mission, usually the only name we remember is the one guy who stepped on the moon. Maybe the second guy. Maybe the third guy involved. Definitely not the fourth or the fifth. And on we go. All these people, thousands of people working on this to make that happen in reality. One guy, we remember, stepping on the moon. And so this is a lot like, again, I think, missions. Uh, Especially when you look at Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. The Neil Armstrong of missionaries, and he's this pioneering figure and this towering figure in Christianity. And we can get the impression that he was a lone ranger, that he did it all himself and never had any help because he didn't need it because he was so strong and such a superhero. And that is not true. When you look at this, even himself will admit, he will say, That was Christ working in me, that was the Holy Spirit but then here he gives out this long helper list of all these people that have helped him in the past and on his past three missionary journeys. Where did he meet these people at? He met them somewhere in his circuit roundabout from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now, where is Illyricum? Many people say it's maybe up to modern Bosnia, Herzegovina, Albania, something like that. And, um, He's been doing these three missionary journeys and he's met these people, these Gentile believers. They've since moved to Rome. He's learned about that and now he's wanting to reconnect with them. His old helpers, his old helper buddies. (laughs) They've all done something for him. And that's why, and he even says that in many of these cases. So, what I think this is as well, it's like a web of support. And that's what missions is really about partnership. And that's what we try to promote. It's not simply just, here's a missionary, we send him, some, we send him a check every month, and that's it, and we kind of say a prayer. And that's, a, that's all we do. It's more of a partnership. You're in partnership with your missionaries. And you guys would be these names right here. And uh, that's significant. Okay, because see, fulfilling the Great Commission is not simply winning people to Christ. That is a big part. But you just evangelize people, and then you they just kind of they're out in the world doing nothing. Is that it? We could probably dump tracks down from balloons, and that's been done before all over the world. And sometimes that's the only way to do things. Uh, But the New Testament doesn't know anything about that kind of evangelism because it teaches us about church planting. And I really think that's where Matthew's version of the Great Commission comes out strong. It says you gotta teach them all things I've commanded you. You gotta baptize them, okay? And that very aspect of saying that really implies strongly there's churches being established. You're baptizing people, you're teaching them all things Jesus said. What are you doing? Through the local church. There's a group of people that are doing this together. It's not just one guy accomplishing everything. You really cannot fulfill the Great Commission. I know we say you need to fulfill the Great Commission, but we will do it together, honestly. You will do your part, your pastor will do his part, I'll do my part, and I think by God's grace we will fulfill the Great Commission. And what it will really look like is local churches being established and reproducing themselves, living local churches that are uh, then able to carry on the work long after we're dead, long after we're gone they'll be there when we're gone and dead off the earth. Lord willing, there'll be local churches in Germany that are still carrying the work on. And so any any, uh, church planting endeavor will will be accomplished through a team of effort of individuals working together. There are four components of missions. There's the gospel or the message, the people or the recipients of the message, the missionary or the sent one with the message, and then there are the senders. And so pretty much the New Testament will focus on the first three. Mostly the first two a lot of times. It'll focus on the Gospel, the message. And rightly so. Say, do you have the message right? And then it will talk about the recipients and the condition of men. They're sinners. And we know that. And then it may touch on being a missionary, saying something about being an ambassador and all these things. And then... Last but not least, if you're looking very carefully, you'll find information on the senders. And I think this is a great example of it. A subtle, often overlooked passage that reads a little bit like a genealogy, right? You come across this passage in your devotions and you're thinking, oh great, (laughs) a names list. You know, and you want to just hurry through it and say, I did it. I got through it and let's move on to things that will edify me. So the problem with passages like this is, is we know they're inspired and we know that they are for our edification. So the problem comes in is finding out how, right? So I think a lot of times when you come across a genealogy or a names list like this, a helper list, the, the clues or the, the way to find some meaning in it, what does this mean to me, is uh, looking at the context, the surrounding context, where does it come in a letter or a book. It has something to do with the other things around it. It's got to have something to do with what Paul's overall trying to say here to the Romans. And also clues in the text. There will be comments sometimes in between the names with some information about somebody. And that's, that's, that's telling you something. It's pointing to something to say, hey, look, look here, look at this guy. He's, he's special. <laughs> so there's a combination of that here in this passage, and we'll just look at a few of them. Uh, There's so many, we could probably keep going, but I'll just give you a few. Um, A few points of application from this helper list is the team effort, first of all. I've been emphasizing that. Notice how many names Paul knows in the church at Rome, even though this is a church that he did not start, nor has he ever been there. He mentions 26 names, but lists more people than this. Phoebe is the 27th name, but she is not part of the Roman church, I don't think. Why, then, is he mentioning so many names here at the end of the letter? Well, I think, and this is, you do have to do some, some straining here to get this. Uh, contextually, I think he is working at building a relationship with the people that he wants to support him in his endeavor to Spain. He's working at building a partnership through the means and the people that he already knows there. That's his inroad to getting more accomplished with this church of Everybody else is a stranger, so you're going to go for the people you know first, right? Isn't this the way you get a job, you get hired? What's the best way to get hired at a job? By knowing somebody. A lot of times you can apply and you may be more qualified than the next guy, and you're like, why did he get hired and I didn't? Because he knows such and such a manager. His dad works there and knows this guy, and he got on, and you're like, I didn't get hired because they don't know you. So they're going to go for the guy they know a lot more, even if he's less qualified. Now, Paul is obviously very qualified. So who is he telling to greet these people? So why do I say that? Well, here's what I think. He is not telling the people themselves because I don't say to you, greet you in <laughs> your name when I'm like talking to you or writing a letter to you. I would be telling you to greet somebody else. I'm telling the person reading the letter to greet that person. So presumably, the logical deduction is that he's telling the elders or the pastors of the church of Rome to greet his friends who are members of the church of Rome. Who is the first person to receive the letter? The pastors. They're going to open it and read it. And as they get to the end, they're still going, who is this Paul guy? And I've heard of him, but... At the end, he says, go greet Priscilla and Aquila. And they go, yeah, I like Priscilla and Aquila. They're fabulous members of our church. And I'm sure they were. They were very hearty people. So they go and they put the, roll the letter up and they go straight to Priscilla and Aquila and say, hey, uh, I got this letter from a guy named Paul. He says to greet you. Hello from Paul. Do you know him? And they say, do I know him? Well, let me tell you about this time we were making tents over here. And they, they start telling stories. And so they start to talk about him. And they say, yeah, he's a great guy. We love him. We had such good times together. We were doing ministry here and here and here. And so these people then begin to fill in gaps in knowledge and begin to inform about, to this church about what this guy is like. And I, I think he's, he's not just trying to get a job. I don't think it just comes down to money for Paul. He's trying to build a relationship with this church genuinely. He he loves the people of God. But it also shows that it is team effort. He's genuinely interested in greeting and meeting these people again. But it's not just Paul doing all the work. There is a team that has helped him off and on on the past three missionary journeys. And now they have a chance to assist him again and gain support from the Roman church to go on his fourth missionary trip. Do we have that team mindset, is the question. And it may not be about that, it could be about anything. But it's a web of individuals working together. Now, I like science, and I taught biology, and uh, I was reading an article one time on Answers Research Journal. It's a great um, free resource from Answers in Genesis. And there was an article on there, and it was all about microorganisms. He was talking about bacteria and viruses and all those sorts of things that we love to hate, <laughs> and especially these days. But he was saying, what was the original purpose of these things? God obviously created bacteria and viruses, perhaps. And now we just boo them and try to eliminate them and eradicate them when we feel badly. But there has been a recent, you know, boom in exploring good bacteria, right? Probiotics. And uh we're starting to learn we're just this is very infantile and it's and it's our understanding of it that there is a web or a matrix of microorganisms that actually make macroorganisms' life possible do you realize that you really can't live without microorganisms as much as you might hate them they say that your own uh gastrointestinal tract has more diversity of life in than there is in the Brazilian rainforest. That's a fact. More diversity of life in you right now than in all the rainforest. That's astonishing. And that's there to keep you alive. You will not make it without those particular microorganisms. And so when you look at that you say yeah this is God has always thought in these terms. He created life with with the idea that there, there all these be these smaller life forms keeping the bigger ones alive. And we don't even know they're there. We don't even pay any attention to them. So, again, there's all these names. Some unnamed, some very obscure names that you can't remember and don't know how to pronounce. And that's fine. That we're there spreading the gospel in the first century, doing what they knew to do, and they didn't do it for fame, for fortune. And that's you guys. That's really us. You know, all of us. We're never going to be really known well known, but we've got to get the gospel out and just work together and, and do this thing and not worry about our name out there. Okay, secondly, the church in Rome is actually the churches in Rome. Look closely at the text and you can see that these people are spread over Rome in several house churches. So verse 5 says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Verse 14, salute Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Narius and his sister. That's verse fifteen. And Olympus and all the saints which are with them. These verses are referring to the people who had house churches. And this is what missions is all about, isn't it? Multiplying churches by starting new ones in houses. Now, our sending church was started in our pastor's home, in Lake Wiley, South Carolina. It's it's a rather new church. And uh, it really wouldn't exist if it wasn't for him being willing to take people into his home on a regular basis for worship service. And this is how missionaries get it done all over the world. I know it'll be the way we do it. We'll start a church in our home, most likely with a Bible study around our living room table or something, or kitchen table. And just talking to individuals and, and working with them and eventually getting them to understand the gospel and understand their need to be a member of a church And then if we get enough people, we'll rent a building, you see, and then start meeting there where other people can come and see what we're doing. It becomes more visible. But it's not about the building. It's about those people always, and that house church really proves that. A lot of times they start there, and that is just a core crux principle of missions. Uh, So we can see that this is a missions-minded church in Rome because they had started multiple churches in the city of Rome already. They had already been multiplying themselves throughout the city without Paul's help ever. And surely they want to start multiple house churches in Spain as well would be the implication. And Paul knows this. He's looking at them. He says, your fame's gone out in all the world. You guys have a real good gospel witness. I've heard of you. And that's the, that's the reason he's even writing to them, by the way. And I think the thinking he's thinking is, hey, you've started house churches in Rome on your own. Surely they'll want to help me start house churches in Spain. And so he appeals to them. Do we want to multiply our church around town and the world? That's the question. Okay, three, commending Phoebe. I look at verses 1 and 2. I commended to you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also." Now, Phoebe here is the only person mentioned in this passage who I don't think is a part of the Roman church. She is coming from, to Rome, and Paul is commending her to the Romans. Why is he doing this? Well, I think the most straightforward explanation, and, and this might not be true, but I think it's the best explanation, is that she is the one bringing the letter of the Romans to the Roman church. She's carrying the letter with her and while this cannot be proven beyond doubt there are three reasons it is likely first of all she's the only person commended and the indication is that she is coming with the letter not after it therefore she is probably carrying it on her two she is from Syncrea which is the eastern port of Corinth which is where many believe that Paul wrote the letter to the Romans he was outside in the suburb of Corinth when he wrote it and he went down to Jerusalem and he said Phoebe can you take this letter over to Rome uh, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem and then try to come back that way. And third, it appears that she is a wealthy woman. Verse 2 says, For she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. She has some sort of financial means. She's able to travel from port to port and can be trusted with an important letter like the one to the Romans, which would become the greatest letter ever written, in my opinion. <laughs> so we can draw a lot of lessons from these two simple verses. First, Paul calls her a sister. And not just a sister, but our sister. She will need a place to stay and some food when she comes to Rome. Families take care of their own. She's coming to Rome for the sake of the gospel and the sake of missions to Spain. Really. She's she's going to open the door to Spain. Remember that a purpose for the letter to the Romans is so that Paul can introduce himself and seek support from the Roman church in order to make it to Spain and preach the gospel there. And Phoebe, a woman is the first link in the chain of this plan. Think about that. That's astonishing. What did the Romans do with Phoebe? Then is the question. Did they listen to Paul? Well, we can assume they did because we're reading the letter right now. How do you think we got it? Probably because they accepted her. They did exactly what he said. And they said, this is great. (laughs) We're on board here with this. Uh, And they began to copy the letter and distribute it out to the churches. And so we're reading it now. But, but a woman, and a, probably a single woman, is the first link in that chain. So what do we learn from this? Women are indispensable partners in ministry and in missions. At least seven of the names in this list in Romans 16 are women. These women were involved in ministry and missions in some way. And no, we don't believe that women can be in the office of elder or take a leading role in church planting. We are complementarian. But women have a vital role in assisting and partnering with the men who do, right? Just look at Phoebe. There's no mention that she was married, and in fact, there is every indication that she was single. But what an honor and important job she had in delivering the letter to the Romans, the greatest letter ever written. So women, don't ever think that you can't do anything in missions or that you have no place in it because you are a woman or single. The history of missions is filled with examples of women who rose to the challenge of reaching the lost around the world. And it's still that way today. And I see you have... uh, What's her name on your bulletin today? Yes, I know the name. And I've seen her before. I've been in another church where they support her. And I remember seeing her prayer letter. And that is phenomenal. That's great. I commend you on that. What is our attitude towards single women missionaries? Do we value them and hold them up as partners? Because I'm going to tell you something. There's some churches that don't and won't. Okay, fourthly, Priscilla and Aquila, risk takers. Look at verses 3 through 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Okay, So assuming Phoebe was a single woman, here is the challenge to married couples. Priscilla and Aquila were a very resilient, ministry-oriented couple. Though they were not originally from Rome, they lived in Rome until they were driven out by Emperor Claudius in 49 AD with all the other Jews. Then they met Paul in Corinth and then traveled to Ephesus where they had a house church. Now they are back in Rome and have a church in their house again. So we know from Scripture that they lived in Pontus, Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, Rome, and then Ephesus. And what does that tell you? They did not have an easy life, but a very missions-oriented life. Look at the assistance that they rendered to Paul and the work that they themselves did with all the house churches they had. But it wasn't their career. It's just something they were obviously consumed with, and that is leading people to Christ, discipling them, and assisting missionaries in any way that they could. They were dedicated to help's ministries. Is God calling any of you couples to this kind of life? There's some way you can be more involved in missions assistance than merely financial and prayer support? Because let's face it, that's the bare minimum. All of us should be involved in financial and prayer support. But is there something more for you? Maybe not career, but some kind of halfway house. Priscilla and Aquila found it. They found it a lot of times. They were able to get involved more than that. And they were risk takers. Verse 4 says, "...who have for my life laid down their own necks." So we don't know exactly what they did, but whatever it was, they saved Paul's life by risking their own. What have you risked for Christ? What are you going to risk? Maybe it is finances. Maybe you could give more sacrificially. I know I can. Maybe you could sacrifice more time in your prayer support. I know I can and should. Maybe God wants you to move somewhere where you can assist a church plant. And that's what it seems like Priscilla and Aquila were doing. They were moving around on purpose a lot of times to say, hey, how can we be more involved with this and this and this? So we can see from this letter that Paul had uh, this helper list in this letter that he had a web of support and supporters that were helping him get to Spain. And once Phoebe delivered the letter to the Romans, they had a question to answer. Are we going to support him? And that question is the same for us today, as well as all the other questions I brought up with these helpers. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we love you and we thank you for uh, this portion of your word and the, the opportunity to look at it today a little bit more, a lot more that we could say about it. And I pray that you'd give us grace to study it and to really draw out more from this text for our lives when we're given the time and opportunity when we come across it. And just give us grace and lead us providentially to those you would help us to talk to, to witness to, to proclaim the gospel to, and also maybe what we can do in our own local church and uh, for you, for the cause and the Great Commission. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.